Father, thank you for this class and grateful, Lord, that uh, you've given us the book of Deuteronomy uh, to understand more about you and your holiness, the goodness of your word, your expectation of people to abide by it and to uphold it. And that is what obedience is. Please bless our time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So the um, assignment for the chiasm, and if you want to just turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is where we're at. But the assignment in dealing with the chiasm was to look for the instances that deal with the heart in the situation. Remember, uh, the interesting thing about Deuteronomy is, is a layman's version of the law of God. Chapter 5 contains a re-giving uh, of the Ten Commandments to the second uh, generation that was out of captivity in Egypt. But the whole book is considered the law of God. And for that reason, before if somebody just told you, hey, have you ever read Deuteronomy? It's a second giving of the law of God. You'd probably go, no. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, and I don't plan on to for about another 12, 13 years. I'm not going to get into it. But what is interesting to see about Deuteronomy is that notice that God, speaking through Moses, understands fully that it's not just about rules, regulations, dietary restrictions, interpersonal relationships, and those types of things. Notice that he is very much aware of, unless the heart is penetrated, there cannot be a change in people. Now, why is that important? And we can even go ahead and connect this to the Holy Spirit, is what we were talking about earlier. You ever talked with somebody and said, well, you just need to change. Well, you just need to do something different. So that's a lot, a lot of people use the new year for an excuse for that, right? Resolutions are always about the people that we wish we were, but deep down we know that we're not, right? And so we try to fake it. How long do resolutions last? Did anybody make a resolution? Let's do this. this you made a resolution. Now, don't tell me what it is because I don't want to know. But is it still going well? Is it still going strong? Excellent. You are an exception to the rule. She's the only one in the world. Probably. Probably. Because here's the thing. We're 27 days into the new year, right? And usually everybody's uh, resolution gave up 26 days ago. You know, January 1st, you were good. But the reason why you were good on it is because most of the places you wanted to go and do that bad thing were closed that day. January 2nd, it's a spree. Right? And we find ourselves back in the same patterns, the same flesh patterns, the same development. We have to understand this. And I know I talk about this a lot. If you're sick of hearing it, great. That means you're starting to get it. Okay? In order for real lasting change to occur in a person, they have got to be convinced of a greater truth than what they are currently believing. There are so many people that are involved in some sins that we look at and we think, man, that's ridiculous. How in the world could you just be falling prey to that? That's, that's insane to me. And the reason why it's insane to us is because we have an understanding of a truth that casts a shadow on it that makes it look wrong and bad and evil or whatever we want to say. The person who's involved in the sin is not to that point yet. Do you need air to breathe? Let's all hold our breath and see how long that lasts. But are we all convinced of the necessity of oxygen? You see what I'm saying? And yes, our bodies are designed in such a way as to where we involuntarily do it. 
But notice, there, there's nothing wrong with being very aware of what our need is and being convinced that that is necessitated for my well-being and continuance. Well, that's no different than struggling with sins. Tony Evans, okay, he believes some wacky things about the kingdom. He believes that the kingdom's kind of spiritually here now, but it will come later. Okay, give him grace because he preaches real good and he smells nice, okay? So that's good. Tony Evans has an excellent book called Free at Last. Free at Last. And he makes a profound and politically incorrect statement in the book. And I've almost memorized it. Here's what he says. He said, the Christian is in Christ. And the one who is in Christ that is being persuaded towards homosexual desires has lost the battle already if they have bought into the idea that they are born that way. Because if they are born that way, there's nothing they can do about it and there is no hope. So accept it and move on. Now, it doesn't help us when the radio is pumping and Lady Gaga is telling everybody that they're born that way. She hasn't helped anything at all. But if a Christian who is struggling in that area or in any area of life comes to a understanding, the heart penetrated, that in Christ I am a new creation, and I have been detached from the indwelling sin that once ruled my life because I have been unashamedly and without hindrance joined perfectly to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden there is hope that abounds everywhere. Take that for an addiction. Smoking, drinking, whatever it is. Are there some chemical factors in there? Yes, there are. And I'm not going to say that it's easy to quit or anything like that. I get it, but here's the thing. The more, con the more convinced that our heart is of the truth of who we are in Christ and the hope begins to blossom because of our further conviction of the truth, guess what? All of that becomes a lot easier to do. It's not just about modifying behavior. Modifying behavior doesn't last. Modifying behavior, the rules and regulations, the do's and don'ts, the New Year's resolution, it dies quickly. In fact, usually the way it dies is by an eruption. Have you ever dealt with somebody that's trying to keep it all under control and then all of a sudden they just lose it one day and you're like, what happened? You are aghast at how they've acted. Why is that? Because all they were doing was trying to modify the behavior. I can deal with this. It's okay. I just need to be patient. I just need to try harder. I just need to be a better person. I just need to pop myself with this rubber band so I don't think those thoughts anymore. And these are the kind of self-help, lie on the couch and tell me your problems and how you feel about that garbage that we've jumped into. What's that? And the dangers of some 12 steps, yes. Instead of realizing that there's an almighty God who loves me and who has given Jesus Christ, who is the perfect, perfect, sacrifice all sufficient for my sins and when i believed in him the holy spirit indwelled me sealed me i now have the indwelling christ and my life is hidden with him in god and he has made me a new creation and also i think about 36 other things that occurred at the moment we believed 
There's a myriad of things that if we would just believe the reality that they are in our lives, it is like unlocking the treasure chest. And it's just waiting for us to enjoy it because it's already ours. But we're just sitting there with the key next to the chest going, I wonder where this goes. We wonder why we find frustration. It's the same with Deuteronomy. With Deuteronomy, notice, penetrating the heart. The heart has got to be convinced. The heart has to be taught. And that's what I want to focus on. And we're just going to spend this Sunday school time focusing on this. And then we can move through with the rest of the chapter next Sunday. But here's the thing. In your chiastic structure that you have in front of you, where are the observances of heart that you saw going on? Chapter 8. What did you see? Heart going on. Okay? Now, I don't have it in front of me. Everybody else has got a chiasm but me. Okay? Uh, Because mine's on my desk. Thank you, sir. We can share. But B1. And what does it say about the heart? That God might humble you And that humbling was actually a what? Testing you to what? Okay, now hold on just a second. We've run into a little bit of a problem. Did God not know what was in their heart? See, now we've got to deal with it. See, and this is interesting. Anytime that you're brought up with something in Scripture, you've got to boil everything back to the attributes of God. How has He revealed Himself? So how do we make sense of the children of Israel had to undergo a humbling process to where they were tested in the wilderness so that the Lord might know their heart. How do you deal with that when we know that God is omniscient, that He knows everything, that He's all-powerful, that He's everywhere present, that He doesn't change? There's nothing that escapes His understanding. Leland, what do you think? Okay, so it might have been in order to demonstrate to them in an experiential way just how far they had to go and truly relying on him how do we know that's the answer hermeneutics people by the way anytime i say the word hermeneutics 95 percent of the time the answer is context okay so how do we know that hermeneutics people context man you guys are really picking up on that class really well i love it Now, how do we know that? Look what it says. Whether you would keep His commandments, notice He humbled you. He let you be hungry and He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Now, watch, 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 uh, it's the second part of verse 3. It's B2 in your chiasm. That He might make you understand what? There's something they needed to understand about themselves. Get this. It wasn't just about their physical makeup, how their brains worked, how their ears received sound. Notice, they need to understand something about their heart that cannot just be told somebody so that they learn it. They have to, this, is, this is the wilderness school of hard knocks is what this is. And notice what it says. That he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does everybody see that now I've said this to you before when we've covered it do you really believe that to be true do you really believe it because here's the thing I'm sure that Israel said oh yeah yeah Lord you me together Mm, we we're solid right and then it came time to actually test that what does that look like 
Are you going to res- and here's and here's the thing, man, stabs me right underneath the third rib, right into my heart. The other option was complaining, wasn't it? Why have you let us out here in this desert? We had so much better going on when we were in bondage, making bricks without straw to build your stuff. At least we knew where a meal was coming at. What does that say about what they learned about God or what they were convinced of in their heart about the truth about God in the midst of that circumstance? They didn't really believe, did they? And so notice their hearts are exposed. You are a people who when you go through a hard time have forgotten that my word is true and it's the only thing that sustains you. See, when we, and here's why this is important. Good grief, today is like tangent day. Here's why this is important. When we talk about that Jesus Christ is the logos of God and all things hold together and have their being in Him, if Jesus Christ didn't exist, nothing could hold together. Everything would fall apart. Atoms, particles, none of that stuff would make any sense. That's what I'm saying. That's the stuff, oh, well, that's not science. It is science. It's just something you scientist without God doesn't see yet. It's the very thing. That's why everything they find is discoveries. Why are they discoveries? They've been sitting there the whole time. God already had it. They just came across it. God's had it sitting there the whole time. But what they don't understand and what it is that holds all things together, it is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what God is saying here. However convinced you think you are about the the importance and truthfulness of my word, your heart will reveal in a time of testing that you really don't believe it to the uttermost. One of the most profound things that's said in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ chose to die rather than sin. None of us have experienced testing to the point of shedding our blood jesus would rather shed his blood than sin against god that's how much he trusted god's word in fact what do you know about this second part of verse three that sticks out to your mind where's that familiarity come from what is it matthew 4 what takes place in matthew 4 jesus is tempted now i don't know about you But the last time I was tempted, I did not pull from the book of Deuteronomy to fight the enemy. That was just not in my sheath at that point, right? You know, I'm thinking more, get behind me, Satan, and run in the opposite direction. He, here's something you don't get, Satan. I don't need to turn these rocks to bread because I don't live by bread. I live by God's word. Now, have anybody, I mean, and I'm not talking about like a Jenny Craig program or anything like that, but when we're talking about in relation to food, have any of us claimed a firm foundation upon God's word as opposed to what we would just assume cave in and eat? You see what I'm saying? Cheese curds, God's word. Which one? I mean, seriously, where do we go with that? Notice here he is trying to show, he is exposing the heart because it's the heart that has to be convinced. Or you, you probably heard this. In order for something to be built up, first you got to tear stuff down, right? First people got to be brought down to their lowest. They got to hit rock bottom so that God can build them up from the beginning. Notice that that doesn't have to look like life just becoming 
uh, uh, the, uh, the equivalent to the dregs of society. It's just the idea of the heart being destroyed so that it can be convinced of a better truth, a more dominant truth. That's the idea. So that's the reason why heart there is so important at the end, uh, or sorry, at the uh, beginning of, or at the end of verse 2, and the idea of the humbling taking place. It really is about what you believe in your heart about what God has said in His Word. It really is. And let me tell you this. When you are brought to a point in your life and you are given the option of, I can either sin and get out of this situation, or I can hold fast to God's Word. This is why Scripture memorization is so important. And be replaying and rolling those things back over in my mind so I'm experiencing rest in the midst of turmoil. You will find that God is able to do immense blessing incredible life-changing work all because we believed what he said that's never changed that formula has never changed all because we believe what he said what is another instance of heart we see in the text okay and is that verse five yeah notice notice in verse four your clothing did not wear out on you nor did your foot swell these 40 years in the wilderness thus you are to know in your heart notice where the knowledge has to take place at right you are to know in your heart that Yahweh your Elohim was disciplining you just as he disciplines his son why is that remember this is the second generation the first generation saw their parents die on their journey and why did they die it's a consequence of their own sin because they did not trust what God said God said the land is yours go get it they said mm, big people no thank you that was the that was the trade-off either march in even though you may feel inadequate even though you may have fear even though you feel like you don't have the tools or the weapons or you're not prepared for the situation whatsoever do what god said notice it was a situation by faith and instead of trusting what they could not see that god was going to do they let what they could see in their eyes become the dominant truth in their hearts notice know in your heart that if you disobey god's word he will discipline you just like he disciplined them there is the practical tangible life lesson right there leland exactly exactly and this is something that we touched on last week even in the midst of them serving out their punishment for their disobedience god didn't stop loving God still loved them maximum in their disobedience. He still cared for them. He still, they never had to sit, no one ever had to stop and make a new set of shoes to keep going. How often do you buy shoes? You see what I'm saying? And we're not wandering around in the wilderness. They just kept going and going. Okay, God's spirit stopped. We got to stop here. We're camping out. Okay, now we're going and going. 40 years. But nobody ever stopped at Payless one time exactly right he still loved them he still provided for them where's the next instance of heart we see everybody see verse 14 notice that that's after the negative decline section in the middle the apostrophe down notice it's the decline section that's going on here that parallels it beware that you do not forget the lord Verse 12, when you've eaten and satisfied, you built good houses. Verse 13, you've got herds and flocks and silver and gold that all multiply. Verse 14, then your heart will become what is it? 
Watch out, guys. There it is. You ever notice we pray more when the situation around us is bad? Why? Yeah. I need help. Well, guess what? When everything was going good, you still needed that much help, if not more. If anything, I needed to be saved from myself because I was convincing myself by my actions and motives and decisions I didn't need God because it's sunny out and I can hear the birds and it's blue skies and I can breathe a lot deeper and boy, that air sure is good. Let's go do this, right? For some reason, because of how I felt and noticed that emotions often dictate actions, that's a scary place to be. Right now, maybe I don't need to pray as much. Well, you know what? My quiet time with the Lord, I can wait till later. I know it's usually morning time. Ain't nothing wrong with it being lunchtime, elevensies, evening, whatever. Elevensies. Anybody get that joke? Besides Jamie? Okay, good. Three of you, four of you. Good. Elevensies, Lord of the Rings. You need to watch it sometimes. It's funny. It's how often they eat. Breakfast, second breakfast, elevensies, lunch. What's that? Or your son? Okay, he eats at 11's, he's too? <laughs> and second breakfast. You've got a young child, they're eating everything. It's awesome. So, yes, good deal. So notice, the idea is that the heart becomes proud. Well, everything's multiplying. We got lots of silver, we got lots of gold, we got lots of cows, we got lots of sheep, and all of a sudden the heart becomes proud. Laverne, you ever look out at all your, all your cows and you go, wow, my heart's proud, I don't need the Lord. Yeah, see, <laughs> that's how it is with anything, right? The abundance that you have, you still got to maintain it. There you go. But that's the idea. The heart becomes proud. Notice this. And you will forget Yahweh your Elohim. Now stop for a second, guys. Watching Pharaoh be overthrown by God. Imagine that you are huddled up with a little Jewish family. And you are celebrating the Passover. And you can hear parents throughout all the city of Egypt crying out because their firstborn children are dead. And you know that the only reason why you do not have the same grief in your heart is because when the Lord told you, apply the blood and I will pass over. And you said, and you got that done. And you stayed in your house and you knew that the angel of death, you saw that, you heard that, you witnessed that situation. You saw when you were there, good grief, there's a huge body of water. Good grief, there's a lot of guys that are really mad coming after us. And the Lord came and he brought this huge dark cloud in order to throw them into confusion so that no one could move forward and nothing could happen. And then all of a sudden, the Red Sea opens and you step down and it's not all mushy and sinking and it's none of that going on. It is pat, 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 pat. The ground is dry. Sharks are going by. Can you imagine? You know how it is in an aquarium. If you don't, go to Zach's office sometime. You get up there close to them and they're all like, you know, they're following you a little bit. Oh, has he got food? Oh, we're going over it. No, we're going over I mean, they do that. Can you imagine walking through with all your family? And you've got a massive aquarium on both sides. It is insanely wet. You are dry. 
Then you get on the other side of it, you turn around, and the thing that has scared you all your life, that you'd lived but nothing in perpetual fear all the time, you see God kill it. I mean, let's just be honest. He killed them. They did everything to deserve it. Godless, self-serving, prideful, rebellious, demonic, everything. Sinful is all get out. Deserving the wrath of God like we don't even sometimes comprehend. And yet everything that scared them to death and kept their lives in shackles, God destroys it right there. But now there's going to come a point because I've got a lazy boy that folds out and my dinner's always warm and because the bank account's looking good, my heart's going to be lifted up and say, you know what, kind of forgot about what God did back there. See, this is why it's good to keep a running record of how has God blessed your life. You know, I was talking to the guys yesterday at the prayer breakfast. Open a prayer journal is one of the best things I've found. How do people need prayer? How can I pray for you? Great, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to check in. I'm going to keep praying. And when he answers it, I'm loving the day. When I can write down, answered, cross it out, answered, 1, 27, 19. Why is that? Because we actually have a God that listens to our prayers now i don't care necessarily about the deep things of scripture to me that's deep that there is a god who listens to me when i pray to him that's there's no reason for it but that's who he is and that's why the heart has no position to get proud that you would forget yahweh forget him really after all he's done, after all the blessing that he gives, after all the help, after the time that you cried out to him, I don't know what to do. And the next thing you know, God just does what God does. You started rejoicing. Then there would come a time, not too long after that, we would forget. Notice that this warning is across the board for everybody. God has been abundant in His mercy to us, abundant to His church. I tell you what, I, I saw something funny the other day. Uh, it said, uh, every seminary student graduates hoping to change the world, not knowing that they're getting ready to get fired for changing the bulletin. And I thought, and I seriously thought, I said, you know what's sad is in a, in a ton of churches, that's true. Thank you, God, that it's not like that in this church. Thank you that the Spirit is sweet in this church. That is, that takes years to correct if it's not. And it's all by God's grace. God has been really good to this church. He's been amazingly good to this church. Uh, us being proud, there's no place for it. It really not. It's just humble adoration of Him all the time. So just mentally speaking, we have to be aware. Where's the next part that we see? Heart. Okay, verse 17, notice that's the B, apostrophe section of number 2. Actually, you should see my Bible. I have the chiasm marked in my Bible. It looks ridiculous, uh, but I'm trying to stay up with it. Notice, back up a little bit, verse 16. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know. Notice the parallel of what we saw earlier. That he might humble you. There's your second part of the parallel. And that he might test you. There it is again and do good for you in the end. Otherwise, if that wasn't the case, that God took those steps towards your life, look what it says. You may say in your heart, 
My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Are you successful? Are you prominent? Have you done well? Have you kept your nose down and just gone for the goal? Have you sacrificed? There's something to be said about self-discipline and diligence and responsibility and all those things. Don't get me wrong. All those things are godly things. Uh, but they can also become an idol. They can become an object of worship. I know some people, uh, my best friend was like this until God snapped him, uh, but my friend who died of leukemia, he was one of those guys, if he wanted to put his mind to it, he could discipline himself no matter what the circumstances were, and he would see it through to the end. He, he would get it done. And that's one of the biggest things he learned by having leukemia was that no matter how determined he wanted to be about anything, he was at the mercy of God all the time. And that God always held him in his hand regardless of how he tried to run from him. It was a beautiful lesson. Beautiful lesson that he learned. Hard way to learn it. But I guarantee you it's not going to come back. Interesting. What else do we see? Is that it? Okay. Let me draw you if I can, this whole section, we're going to go through the whole chapter next week, but I want to show you this. Verse 19 of chapter 8. It shall come about if you ever forget. Now stop. That's your link to verse 11, isn't it? Beware lest you forget, right? Verse 14, then your heart you'll become proud and you will forget. Everybody see the connections there, the dangers that are involved? Now watch. It shall come about if you ever forget Yahweh your Elohim and go after other gods. Now stop. Notice that pride gives way to something. Everybody's got to worship. This is why these people who've never heard of God and New Tribes Missions, Ethnos 360 goes out to reach these people in third world countries. They're worshiping something. Because that desire and propensity to worship is already there. It's already ingrained in us that we must be a worshiping and reverencing people. And this is why whenever God is reasoning with Israel through the prophets about the absurdity of idols that cannot speak and they cannot talk and they cannot act and you had to make them yourselves out of wood and out of stone. How utter insane that is when the Lord of all glory is offering his hand out there. Notice that pride will give way to worship in a direction that is other than God when you forget him. Now look what it says here. You go after other gods and you serve them and worship them. I testify against you today the will be death for your sin is pretty much what it is. You shall surely perish now because of the promise that he made to abraham not all there's always a remnant that is a prominent lesson all throughout scripture but notice the consequence will be death look at verse 20 like the nations that yahweh makes to perish before you so you shall perish because now watch this you would not listen to the voice of yahweh your elohim what is that saying notice that he gives the reason what is that saying what is it drawing your attention back to? Because you wouldn't listen to his voice. What are we talking about? His what? His word. That's what we're talking about. Now, why is that important? We're forgetting about God, the prideful heart leading you to worship something else. The way they would get taken, taken captive, essentially, uh, by, by other gods. They would worship and fall down and worship them. Why is that important? Because it's something they told us earlier. Watch this. Um, let me see here. Do, 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 do. 
man, I didn't mark it. Um, let me see here. Oh, gosh, this was a good point, and I'm ruining it by this lull. Um, uh, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 4. Look at it real quick. And remind me, I want to make one comment about demonic activity before I wrap this up. we got three and a half minutes. Chapter 4. Look at verse 10. And you'll, you'll remember this point when we go back to it because it was a prominent point. But, but it's so foundational that Moses is having to bring it up in different ways so that people get it. He's having to explain it from different directions of coming in so that people will grasp the full-orbed weight of the situation. Look at verse 10 of chapter 4. Remember, the day that you stood before Yahweh your Elohim at Horeb. Remember, we made a big deal about this. They're at the bottom of the mountain, and they hear God. Watch this. When the Lord said to me, Assemble the people me that I may let them hear my what? Words. You should have that marked in your Bible. Hear my words, so that they will, number one, learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth, and number two, that they may teach their children. Notice, it is a personal fear, reverence with God, but also perpetuating forward in generations. Look what it says here. Verse 11, you came near, you stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, the very heart of the heavens, darkness and cloud and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke, there it is, his word, to you in the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words. But you saw what? Oh, guys, grab this, please. No form. You heard his words, but there was no form to liken it to. Because when we talk about demons and demonic activity and the erecting of idols, we are talking about making objects to worship. I've got to have something tangible in my hand. Notice what Moses is telling you here. You didn't see any form. You heard him. But there was no form there. Watch how he presses this. Only a voice. Verse 13. So he declared to you his covenant, his contract, which he commanded you to perform, that is the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you're going over to possess it. So watch yourselves carefully. Since you did not see any what? Any on the day that Yahweh spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire. And here's the reason. So that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form of any figure, a likeness of female, male, animals. Uh, verse 17, notice anything that creeps on the earth, anything that's above the earth. Uh, verse 19, beware not to lift up your eyes to the heaven. Notice. The idea of a proud heart that forgets about God is prone to idol worship, which is ultimately serving demons. And in serving demons in that way, you forget about His Word and you gravitate towards a corrupt and diminished form. Why does He press this whole, remember the voice of Yahweh, remember what He said to you, take Him at His Word. Word, do not be led astray by those things. Because what we do is we throw off his word and we look for the tangible form to grab onto. This is why Oprah's so big, guys. I, sometimes I poke fun at her. But you got to tell me, isn't she concerned about her appearance? How she presents herself? What her show looks like? The of reputation that it pours over on other people and why is that so that all the form around it adds a greater credibility to her words so that people will believe her and they and she leads them astray 
from what God's Word says. Well, that's not true. She's just really rich and she's a talk show host. Wake up! That's what it looks like to have an idol in America. We even have a show, American Idol. What is wrong with us? Everybody see that? Now, why is it that we're not carving tiki gods and burning fire to people and stuff like that in America? Here's the reason why. Why this tends to happen more in third world countries than it does here. is because we, the, the enemy has learned that we don't need a whole lot to get distracted. We just need a television in our home. All we need is a smartphone. All we need is the internet to forget about God's prominence in our lives. Over there, since they don't have a lot of that stuff, what is he doing? That's why there's some super freaky spiritual stuff that goes on there. That's why when missionaries show up and they see all this demonic stuff, they're like, whoa, Bible college didn't prepare me for this one. Because they went to Bible college in America. All you had to do was click, click, and you were sucked in. And we've become a brain-dead society because we bought into the system that Satan has created. Well, notice, he's not working with everybody the same way. He understands that he's got to spook people in third world countries with apparitions and visions and things like this to lead them astray from God's word. And when people who bring the gospel in, they are retaliated against. Why? Because they're finally shining light on an extremely dark place where Satan had it all on lockdown. How many people don't believe me? This week, check your email once. On Wednesday, it's cold enough. You'll be inside. You've got something to do. But every time you feel the need to go to Google, to go to your email, check whatever it is that you're involved in, Facebook, reach for your Bible instead and watch how your flesh rebels against the Word. See, this is a good experiment because what does it do? It further convinces my heart about how desperately I need the Word and how I don't need those other things that I just naturally gravitate towards. I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll humble you real quick. It'll humble me real quick. Does that sound good? We all going to make a pact to do that? It's a good homework assignment. Leland. Yeah? Yeah? Hmm? When you go to bed, plug your phone up and shut it off and leave it in another room. Can you do that? I'm too important. I've got to be there in case somebody calls. You're not that important. And neither am I. That's something they can't wait until 5.45, 6 o'clock in the morning so I can look. But think about it, guys. We, recognizing those types of things makes us realize, man, the Word's got a lot of work to do on the heart. Pray. Father, help us to be convinced that we do not live by bread or phone or google alone but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the living god I pray this in jesus name amen